Welcome to the Lorehounds One Shots, where the Lorehounds, your guides to the end of the world as we know it. I'm David. And I'm Brandon. And this is our coverage of the Sam Esmail original Netflix film, Leave the World Behind. In this podcast, we're going to discuss our spoiler-free hot takes and cover a few production details before taking a break, after which we're going to get into spoilers and discuss the film, its plot, characters, themes in detail. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of the year, including notes on our end of the year top 10 lists and community survey, which will be out for public release on December 25th. Patreon subscribers will, of course, get early access to that. Yeah, we just did some uh, the data analytics of it. It's looking good. It's going to be a fun list. I'm super excited to talk about it. It's the first year mm. we've done this. Anyway, speaking of Patreons, subscribers not only get early access, but they get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts as well. Check us out at patreon.com slash the lorehounds and subscribe for as little as $3 a month. We also offer annual subscriptions. So for the price of a meal out on the town, you could not only have ad-free versions, but you could also rest easy knowing that you're helping support us and all of our co-hosts make great content for you. If you want to get in touch with us, send emails to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com. You can also visit us at our website where we have a contact form and an easy-to-use voicemail feature, and we can include your audio right in the show, which I've done, and it's nice. We also have a fun and active community over on our Discord, so check us out there. Uh, links for all of those will be in the show notes. Brandon, good to see you. How you been? I have been grand, just yeah. hanging out, shivering when I go Cold. outside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, everything's everything's been pretty good. Just in hardcore dad mode, playing games when I can, watching things when I can, and uh, feeding and burping and changing. <laughs> That's right, because you have a, a little one in the house, right? Yes, I've right. got a five-year-old and a one and some change-year-old. Both got of them, it. by the way, fun fact, same birthday. Oh, wow. That, you ready for, are you saving up for the therapy bills for when they get a little bit older? Absolutely. Luckily, it's on Earth, Wind, and Fire Day, so we get to sing and dance every time that's fun. as well. We got a song built in, uh, so that's fun. That's good. Wow, both on the same day. That's amazing. They must be excited for the holidays here. Yes. Um, the older one is super duper in love with... It. Christmas and princesses, any of those things. And then the other one just wants to eat literally anything. Uh, we keep having to pull <laughs> fake pine needles out of her mouth. And, uh, you know, oh, no. so it, it, we're, it's an active battle every day to keep her away from the Christmas tree. So usually that's a cat related thing. It's I've never really heard of a baby uh, trying to crawl up the Christmas tree. Yeah, she she just wants to do battle with it. It's that's so funny. <laughs> that's a lot of fun. Well, thanks for coming on today for our one shots. And just as a reminder for folks, one shots are our format where we can talk about a show, a movie, a book, anything that we're not going to do episodic coverage of. And both of us saw this title for this movie. And I put a call out on our production server on discord and said, Hey, anybody watching this, you know, I really love to, to cover it. And you piped up. And so here we are. Uh, I'm pretty excited to talk about this film. What is your background with the movie and with the writer and director, Sam Esmail? Do you have a lot of familiarity with his work or anything he's done in the past? I did watch Mr. Robot, which, okay. you know, I, I went 
I was like, oh yeah, I love Sam Esmail stuff. So I, I looked and I was like, what else, what else has he done that I, I know I've, I've loved? And it's nothing. Like, it's nothing, uh, exactly. I, <laughs> I, 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 I guess Mr. Robot penetrated so deeply that I was like, I love this man and I will watch anything he does, but mm-hmm. I have not. <laughs> I'm not a huge <laughs> consumer of like movies and TV, uh, very much anymore at all. Sure. Um, when I get the spare time, I'm usually trying to play video games or, you know, just sit in silence. But um, <laughs> In stillness with the <laughs> world swirling around you. Yes. You could maybe yeah, use like, a Long Island vacation. I could. I would love that, actually. But yeah, the uh, I, I, I've loved, you know, the Mr. Robot was great. Just the vibes, the like, I, I'm going to use the word vibes a lot in this, yeah, I imagine. Uh, 100%. Uh, it's a very vibey movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could consider me in a self-imposed blackout. Uh, okay, which is pr- fairly appropriate of uh, this movie. I think you, you'll you'll come around in a few years once the kids get a little older. For I sure, I can yeah. already see with the five year old. I'm like, ah, oh, yes, you're you're so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> you're just coloring and doing whatever, and the little we one have, is just looking at me like, let's do it now. We're we're doing fun stuff now, please. Right. We have a we have one eight year old, and it's great because uh, she's able to do all her bathroom stuff and get herself to bed. We just come in and check on her and she's, you know, she's coloring or listening. We're big on Taylor Swift these days. Same. Um, and she's just listening to some music or whatever. And it's like, oh, wow, I suddenly have a whole hour to, you know, 45 minutes to an hour back to myself that I never had before. I, I don't know what to do with myself sometimes. Listen to more Taylor Swift, I guess. Exactly. Ares is coming to for home release. So you can watch that. Yeah, we're, I think, hosting a uh, watch party with a couple friends so, yeah. uh, on Saturday. And today's actually the day that we're recording, I believe, is her actual birthday, canonically what? speaking. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's right. Yeah. It sure is. <laughs> so oh, I'm going to have to send her some, send her a thank you for right. being born on this day. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm kind of in the same. I loved Mr. Robot. Um, it's not without its here's and there's but overall i just uh, i just loved some of the visual uh work that they did in that and the storyline and and the characters it was just such an interesting innovative show and i was like yeah i was same with you i was like oh man sam esmail yeah i'm down and then (laughs) when we were preparing for this podcast i was like okay so what else have i Nothing. I've only watched mr robot i haven't seen any of his other really uh, (laughs) But for me, it was, okay, Sam Esmail directing Mahershala Ali, I- I'm in. And, oh, and it's, and, it's po- and it's apocalyptic? Oh, I'm definitely in. Right? Yeah, this ticked most this of the boxes for me, for sure. Um, yeah. It r- really did. Uh, especially like Mahershala drew me in so much with uh, True Detective. Um, mm, yeah. And I, I figured if I could get anywhere kind of spooky Mahershala back in my life, I was like, I'm going to need that. Um, because uh, and the the trailer does a great job of this forebodingness which is not Mm -hmm. definitely certainly not a word it definitely isn't i was like this looks like it's gonna make me feel things and um spoiler alert it did um but he is so good in it like i I just couldn't believe it all right so the production details on this it was written and directed by sam esmail and it was based on a book of the same name by Ruman Alam. And that book won the 2020 National Book Award. And uh, there was um, a Sam Esmail has been a bunch on uh, on a bunch of the Ringer podcasts. He's uh, buddies with the folks on The Watch and on the, the Big Picture. I don't know if you listened to any of those links that I, I sent you, but it was really interesting to hear them talk about how he read the book and how he read it through first. And then he read it through a second time. And basically had 
a lot of the film visualized in his head by the time he was done reading his second read through. That's interesting the way that works for, for certain directors who, who see the full thing so they can block it out in advance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget who it's, it's one of the big ones that, um, that I think it was, uh, the shining. Who's that guy? Oh, uh, Oh God. Now you're going to make me look up the shining. (laughs) Uh, this is, this is, this is bad. Uh, the film, was Stanley Kubrick, right? Yes, I think yeah. it's him. And it's it's that the whole film is visualized before the camera is even rolling. So it's just like he knows what shots he needs and, right. and everything like that. It sounds like Sam works the same way. Pretty, yeah, pretty cool. It's, it's sort of like, it, it, you know, just pops out of their heads and 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 then the, the hard work is just translating it in mechanically onto screen. Exactly. Whereas like, you know, some directors just get like, they they go for like coverage and they cover mm-hmm. like every angle and whatever and and like George Lucas fix it in editing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so this stars Julia Roberts, Mahershala Ali, Ethan Hawke, Mahala, and uh, I believe the uh, kids are um, Farrah McKenzie and Charlie Evans. And um, the Sam Esmail, this is uh, he produced this under his. Uh, company. He's got a little production company and they're working on scripts and doing all kinds of other things. And so I believe it was shot by his longtime uh, cinematographer partner, Todd Campbell, partner, bit like business partner. Um, And it was edited by Lisa Lasek. It was a limited theatrical release and then it went straight to streaming. And the budget is reported somewhere around 25 million and it was shot partially on location on Long Island. And then they, and we'll talk about this later, but it was also partially shot on a soundstage, which is a really interesting part of the, the production for it. Uh, I guess this, when Sam was able to option this, and then they went out to bid for it and Netflix bid uh, the most for it. You know, they basically won a, a bidding war to, to produce this. Mm-hmm. And then I guess Sam... Uh, pushed to have it released in the theater for a little while before it went straight to streaming. And I don't know, did you, how do you feel about this uh, slightly uh, two-step thing where we do a little bit of theater and then we go uh, to streaming really quick there? Are you enjoying that structure or? I do like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Personally, if, if given the option, I am going to sit in my perfectly curated living room if I want a, <laughs> like, you know, I can wear my pajamas, I can make a cocktail, I can pause. Um, so my preferred viewing experience is always going to be in my house in front right. of my very expensive television. Right. But for the people who are theater people, and perhaps I'm one of those, you know, I'll be one of those again later on in life when I have yeah, more time. Right. But um, I think it's great because then you get to have that experience too. It is best of both worlds. And um, I, I really hope something like that sticks a little bit more. Yeah, it's hard. Like I was looking at uh, Oppenheimer. I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet or Killers of the Flower Moon because I'm waiting for them to come on streaming because I just cannot justify three hours of my life away from my family. Without an intermission as well? Like, without an intermission. Come on, on. dude. Let us piss. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> let us get another drink. Let us yeah. use the bathroom. I, exactly. I, th- I, th- I heard a, a theater got in trouble for like inserting yes, an I intermission. Heard too. <laughs> Nuts. God. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I like it. I, you know, Sam Esmail was talking about this on one of those podcasts where he was saying, you know, I really wanted to make sure, you know, it had a big screen and a, you know, big sound because sound plays a lot in this. It um, does. 
you know, experience for people. But then for me, it made sense as a movie. I, I don't think I would have gone out and paid uh, the theater premium for this right. movie. And I'm so glad that I could see it like right away. Like I'm dying to see Godzilla minus one right now, but it's not playing in any of the theaters near me. We live in a smaller town. And so I'd have to drive 45 minutes uh, to, to go see it. And I'm like, when is it going to stream? I need to see this. And yeah. so I like this idea of, yeah, you know, put it out, maybe put out an IMAX or those great sort of movie pubs where you can have a night out and you get some friends together and, and that kind of thing. But to shorten the window to when we get it, get to streaming, I, I don't know. Something is working for me in that, in that regard. Yeah. And I mean, it, it adds the water cooler back. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a lot of the time people used to go see movies all the time or the TV That's shows would bad. be airing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So now if everyone can sort of view it at, on their terms, whenever it's convenient for them, everyone's talking about it at the same time, which is what you want when you make a thing. You want everyone right. to consume it. You want everyone to talk about it. Yeah. So I think it's talk cool. about monoculture. Yeah. Yes. Monocultural events. Yeah. Like, yeah, which is, the, just the does not exist. Movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Eras is like, it's got to be the the biggest cultural like m- like moment that I can remember happening in a very long time that wasn't like a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, but right. like every everything is so like segmented in its own little you know pocket cultures now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would a, say uh, Maverick or Top Gun Maverick, uh, sure. Barbenheimer, uh, Eras. That's, those are okay. Yeah, so we've got a few of them recently, but yeah, it definitely like. Those are these great things, and we we don't have enough of them right now, like you were saying. Uh, having these, everybody being microcultured down into, uh, you know, being at their home theater by chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have a podcast, so you can speak on these things whenever you want, and a Discord. It's true. So, yeah, and that's the one thing that's fun about our Discord, too, is, is like, if you're a TV hobbyist or a movie hobbyist, you know, and it doesn't have to be ours, it could be Bald Move, it could be film and movie making ones. There's all kinds of uh, communities out there. Video it's games. R- hmm? Video games. Not to do my own horn, but you can, you, can, you can come talk video games in Lorehan's Discord too. There you go. And it's, it's, it's great to have that um, community, that curated community where we can sort of all nerd out about these things together. There is a word that usually has a negative connotation, but I think it is a good thing. Um, I might need your help finding it. Uh, I am not educated. Uh, it is. It is. It is this thing. It is like po- echo chambers. Yes. <laughs> you can That's find it. your own little niche, little echo chamber, and it, and just bask in it mm-hmm. uh, when you want to enjoy a thing. Because like you know, everyone is still consuming things. They're just doing it at their own time. Right, and echo then chamber. so having <laughs> then being able to come around a podcast or a Discord or something like that is a nice way to then recon reconnect with other human beings definitely so yeah awesome okay well let's uh oh uh, last note about the movie too it seems to be pretty consistent across the review sites tomatoes imdb letterboxd metacritic has it as 67 out of 100 so i think it's falling right in there pretty consistently uh, across everything so what is your overall spoiler-free hot take for leave the world behind I I'll start by saying I loved it and I can't believe uh-huh. it's not reviewing way higher. Um, yeah, it's it's I, I have some theories why, but yeah, continue. Okay. Uh, I found like many things about it. Um, a, a sort like aside from just the draw. So trailers, right. people who made it, people who are in it. Aside from that, 
as soon as I started watching it, the music and the pacing, I found them very unsettling (laughs) in a, in a good way, like in the best possible way so that something can be unsettling for a movie. Uh, the vibes are immaculate as the zoomers say, um, the the camera shots in this thing which we will get into later oh man but like it's just oh, everything man. just feels so the movie feels with the the camera and the music it all feels so dynamic mm-hmm. um and it and sure usually, to disorient you and to give you that those weird vibes of like oh something's not right in the world exactly and i'm not typically one to you know i'm not a huge movie guy mm-hmm. so uh you know i'm not one to spot that kind of a thing unless it really like they're using it as a way to do storytelling. Um, it's, and I even picked up on it. Um, so yeah, like, it's pretty obvious in some cases, definitely. So like it, it's, uh, very welcome. And, um, last bit of it is God damn Herschel looks good. Uh, <laughs> like everyone is doing great, but I just love looking at Mahershala in his face. Um, and, Everything he's doing in this just works so well for me. Uh, my Hala does some some great work in here too. But yeah, the the whole cast, which is a small cast, obviously for for uh, for this one, yeah. but everyone just crushes it. Uh, yeah, and the set the set is great. Like I, I guess it's it's all gush for me. My hot takes are gushes. Okay, but um, yeah, gushy vibes. It. What about you? Yes. Gushy vibes. <laughs> gushy vibes. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie and I think the thing where maybe it's falling short sort of in the broader pop culture thing is, is this isn't a big entertainment film. This is not a Top Gun Maverick. This is not a Barbie. To me, this is a filmmaker's film and I feel like he really pushed himself and his, uh, his creative team and it's, it, it's genre pushing in a little bit in some of the the techniques and styles that he's telling the story in. So I think for my pet theory, my tinfoil hat theory here is, is that I think for a lot of audiences, it was a little like, Ooh, I don't know how to, you know, deal with this. This is, this is telling story in a weird way. It's not answering questions in the same way that I'm, I'm used to. So he's cutting cross grain a little bit. And I think it's, um, Really, uh, I enjoyed it for that because it's it's so in. There's so many intricate details. It's so densely packed. There's little drops of hints to other cross cultural stuff in the names of things, or maybe a T-shirt that somebody is wearing. He's uh, Sam Esmail is always winking at us and and burying little uh, cultural touchstones and and iconography into the backgrounds of scenes and stuff. Um, and so I, I don't, I'm not surprised that it's not, that it's trending a little bit lower than maybe we would want to. Cause I think people are like, hmm, I'm not sure what to think of this. Cause I think he is pushing it a little bit. Right. So it's like a Norm McDonald sort of a comics comic version exactly. of a, of a movie. Absolutely. Okay. See, that, that, that makes sense to me. And it's fun coming from a person who is like, not that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I still kind of felt maybe that intention going into it. I'm an art guy. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just not exactly a, you know, a, a cinema boy. I'll right. Yeah. It, I'll call it. But yeah, I, I felt every bit of that. And, and on this podcast, we're really uh, on, in the Lorehounds, we're really much more centered on television and episodic storytelling, as opposed to this movie storytelling, which is really interesting because in a lot of ways, this felt like to me, something that I would see on television, the way it was scripted and the way that it was shot. It feels like a TV show to me, but it's a, you know, two hour, 11 minute, you know, uh, single story. Right. 
which I, I really appreciate as someone who just time is at such a premium for me mm-hmm. right now. Like uh, a beginning, middle and end is such a great thing. Like with video <laughs> games, I'm gravitating to more like a, like a shorter, densely packed game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, right now movies are kind of working that way for me in such a way like this film might have like sort of opened up a door for me into going like I need to watch more movies because it's I can enjoy a thing and have it be done. And be done so with I, it and move on. Yeah. Yes. It might be a, like a, this, this movie might, uh, you know, might be a, a door for me. So that's, which is why I you. think it's interesting that they did the, the limited theatrical release and then straight to streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then the cinema files can get it in that big screen the way it was intended. But then the yeah. rest of us mortals who are living a busy <laughs> family life, we can enjoy it too and still have the buzz in the zeitgeist in the, in the conversation space where it's fresh as opposed to, Oh, we had to wait three months for it to come out on streaming or something like that. There's something there about the, 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 the fat cats up top watching it in the cinema and us worker bees. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into that later as the movie yeah, goes. That's a different show maybe. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah like you said, this is his the, movie. Very, very vibes to this. Yeah. Movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sam is, Sam is a cultural critic, right. In, in that way, same along with like Noah Hawley and the you know, like Fargo, Season five is dealing with some very similar themes that are happening with that. That's shout out for, for that show. Season five is rocking. It is sure. on fire. But yeah, like you were saying that the camera work was amazing. The complimentary music, the needle drops, even a, a needle drop that goes into a diagenic where it's, you know, we hear the, 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 the soundtrack sound and then uh, it drops down into a scene of a character listening to that same song on the radio as they're driving. So really, really fun filmmaking techniques. Again, more, more of Sam Esmail being a filmmaker, a TV show maker, whatever, and using tr- tricks and techniques and, and reveling in, in those kinds of things. Yeah, uh, I had a thing too about the soundtrack. Um, so Mac Quayle, who composed the original score for the film, I'm I'm reading this part directly off of Wikipedia. Uh, mm-hmm. Just you know, uh, but I thought this was really neat. Um, the whole score is consisting around like a nine note mode uh, by oh, Oliver. Oh, right, Messian. and you're a musician, so you're going to pick up on on this a little. Yeah, and I mean, it's that like piano, like. <sighs> It reminds me of, I'm not like a music scholar or anything, but right, Lydian right. is like a different mode that I've heard before. And it came from pretty much all of my like uh, classical music comes from John Williams and Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so like I learned that like he used things like Lydian modes for like character light motifs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which um, so I, I think it's neat that you can uh, in like such a small thing, you can use literally one mode and use that as the entire sort of score. So anytime you're getting that like sweeping chord, like the, uh, on the piano, uh-huh. which it's not, it's a mode, it's not a chord, but it, it, it comes out as like, uh, it's so spooky. It's the first, right. the first thing you hear when the movie starts is that like piano, like run where it's like, blah, 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 like that. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's this, it's the same thing. It's like the, the pulse of the movie is that, that sound. I love wow. It. Okay. So I'm gonna have to go back and watch the movie again now thinking of that. Oh, and by the way, the next time we interview uh, music composer Bear McCreary, we mm-hmm. need to have you on the podcast so you guys can talk about this kind of stuff. I so. had so many questions. It was such a great interview. Um, I, he was I can't so listen fun to talk to. I can't listen to everything the Lorehounds do because these madmen are constantly putting stuff out <laughs> and like I just don't watch very many things. So, But this thing is is a must listen. Bear McCreary is a treat. 
Yeah, sure. it, it really was. I, we were so grateful to be able to take some of his time because that dude's got to be busy as all uh, as anything these days. So he didn't seem like it. He was right there with you guys he the whole was. time. He was just so excited to talk about it. So it was awesome. Great guy. Yeah, very fun. So the last note that I had was, you know what this movie really reminds me of is a modern version of a Hitchcock film. Yeah, I, I, you say that and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm there with you. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm not a big Hitchcock devotee. I haven't studied his films a lot, but I remember in Vertigo, seeing a Vertigo when it was remastered and, and re-released in the theaters and really noticing how he would raise the tension. He would turn the knob and there's this uh, one scene where they're in an apartment or something and they they turn and there's like, the way that the closet is framed and the clothes are in the closet, it, it, it gave me a mini jump scare. Right. As if there was somebody back there waiting to, to leap out. And just all the time doing those little things so that by the Playing time- Playing with you your get, expectations. Completely. Like, yeah. So that by the time you get to the climax uh, of that movie in the tower, and when, when certain things, I don't want to spoil, I mean, it's a very old movie, so, but whatever. Um, when, when, the, when this big climatic moment happens, I leapt out of my seat. I was so freaked out because yeah. he had slowly just notched up that volume knob on the tension just ever so slightly every scene so that I was triggered and I was primed by the end of it to be like, oh my Lord. Pardon so my brain, the, but you were mm-hmm. edged all the way until <laughs> the huge, the huge nut at the end. So I don't think <laughs> <laughs> it was, it really was, it, yeah. was, it was masterful. Now yeah. I don't know that, you know, he, I don't think in this movie we have that same trigger release at the end, but because it's more of a creeping doom and a, and a spread, a slow spreading. Right. But it, it really, it also really reminds me of Jordan Peele's work w- with like Nope and, uh, oh, what's his other one? Um, Get Out. Yeah, Get Out, where there, it's this horror that's set in the mundane primary world. And, and we take a conceit or one or two conceits and then uh, we set the story in motion. So I just really appreciated the fact that. He was able to set everything that we see that goes on, all the big set pieces. There's some amazing big set pieces that we're going to talk about. When they happen, I was just like, whoa, I've never thought about that before. What if that could have happened? And, you know, there's a one scene on the roadway, which, you know, we won't spoil now, but I was like, oh, like it was a very modern take. So that's the word I was going to use. It is exactly the kind of scary that you can only get in a very, very modern world as we as we live in right now. But he's using those Hitchcock. Now. Yeah, he's using those Hitchcock techniques, though. But yes, contextualized modern. Right. It's like a college, <laughs> like a college film. I've heard that about Beyond the Black Rainbow, uh-huh. where it's like someone who's using pure like education from film to create a thing, like a showpiece for how you make a movie like this, mm. <laughs> using using the 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 teachings of what has come before. But yeah, like. Psycho is sort of the the same way where it's like everything is very small and uh, right. like that that's my one Hitchcock touchstone. So I'm I'm right. able to like as you said that I'm like oh you're yeah it's in there <laughs> it's in there it's, it's small and like creeping the whole way through right it. and this and the doom spreads slowly around you and we're very intimate with all the characters as they're being challenged and confronted with things that shake them to their cores but yet doesn't completely blow out it's not like oh here comes an alien spaceship. Spoilers, mm-hmm. you know, there's no alien spaceships in this. Um, but 
the 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 horror is so intimate and all around and and yet diffuse that it does and then the way that the camera works and then the music works it it really does um uh create this great environment of dread and uh, yeah, everything's worry. working in concert to make yeah. you feel it's it's, I, it's it's very well put together i could totally see this being used as a uh, uh in a in a filmmaking class yep right yeah i could i could definitely see it the same way yeah. Awesome. Okay. So normally on one shot movies, we talk about our theater experience or any trailers that we might have seen. <laughs> no trailers. Uh, if you want to, unless you want to throw out a, a trailer just for fun that you have seen recently or anything that you're expecting to see. Um, are you in for rebel moon or Dune or anything like that? I am very excited about the halo show <laughs> coming back. <laughs> Excellent. It is a very bad show that I'm very excited to to watch more of. Uh, that's it's a, it's a second February. make of that of something, right? It is season two. Season okay. one was pretty awful. Uh, as a especially <laughs> as a Halo fan, like it had some stuff in there for me, but it was ju- it's just very wrongheaded and like you know it's not for the fans of Halo. So what are you even making it for? Right. But uh, season two, same 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 stuff, different day coming back. Very excited. <laughs> Okay. Don't well, know one why. Of, one of our Patreon benefits is is access to this curated database list of uh, of shows and movies that we're uh, watching as a community, and I'll, I'll have to put Halo in that list now. <laughs> I ignored it when I was cu- calling the internets the other day for uh, what's up and coming. So it's pretty awful. I yeah. I, I love it. Okay. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm interested in seeing Rebel Moon. I've been seeing a lot of Rebel Moon um, uh, material on the interwebs these days, so I'm very curious to see how that's going to pl- pan out. It could be horrible, or it could be really cool. We'll we'll have to see. Zack Snyder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's his uh, he, Star Wars epic. From what I, I heard, he's directly going for Star Wars, okay. which has almost never gone well. So we'll see. I will wait for, I will listen to your podcast on that one. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and I believe Sean and uh, Alicia and I are going to be covering that. Cool. Very cool. One shot. Yep. So the last thing that we always like to touch base on, on the, especially on the one shot movies is, would you recommend leave the world behind and, or would you see it again? Yes. And yes, absolutely. I think mm-hmm. uh, if you're, if you're any kind of a movie person or honestly not, if you like, um, if you like, in, like mystery, if you like just good old fashioned acting, <laughs> right? Julie Roberts is great in this. Ethan Hawke is great in this. I haven't even talked about them, but yes, they are crushing yeah. it. Like yeah. everyone does such a great job in here. Um, it's a real actor, actors film, and it's real filmmaker film as well. I think it's a perfect Saturday night. What's on? Let me, you know, let me do this. Right. Yeah. I think it's an easy film to watch. Maybe it worked so well on me um, because I was surprised, but mm-hmm. It really did work well on me. So, you know, not to oversell it, but I loved it. Okay, well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we can start talking about the movie in detail. And we're back. Okay, Brandon, let's start talking about the movie in detail. This is your spoiler warning. We're going to be breaking down the movie and all its components and parts. So if you haven't seen it yet, or if you don't mind uh, being spoiled, uh, this is your chance to either stick with us or hop off and then come back once you have gotten to see the movie. Um, we, between the two of us, we generated, I don't know what, three or four pages of notes here um, of, of different bullet points. And I thought, 
probably the best way to talk about this is just we've got a map of the terrain here. And wherever we start, we've got a whole bunch of things that we can talk about. So I think we can just sort of flow through the movie, talk about characters, production details, plot, you know, some of the action, some of the set pieces, some of the themes and subtext. So we'll just sort of meander through and see where we end up. Um, first off, though, is there anything that for you was just the best part of this movie or the thing that sticks out the most or the thing that was the most chilling? Like what is what has got you by the short and curlies? Um, I keep coming back to the very close moment uh, between Amanda and GH, uh, Julie mm. Roberts and Mahershala's character, where they had mm-hmm. just like they finally kind of broke through and had a like a small intimate moment that was handled, I think, really well between both of them as like intelligent like adults who aren't just going to ruin their lives because they've had a couple. Um, in an, in think, another film, it would have happened. Yes. Uh, Definitely. in this film, it was very, uh, I'm glad that it didn't happen. And I really liked where GH ended up at the end of the scene. Yeah. And it sort of, it just shows that they're both, their heads are on straight. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you know, the whole world is going to shit around them as far as they can tell. And, and they're still like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a grown up. Like, let's, let's get, you know, let's, <laughs> let's fix, let's not ruin our lives here. Right. Uh, that was great. Um, I like, I, I watched sort of, I watched it once in its entirety. And then I watched in sort of bits and pieces, the very beginning, um, the way Julia Roberts, her character, Amanda just sort of like orchestrates everything to get the fuck out of Dodge. (laughs) She just had it. She's like, I'm done with all this bullshit. And she delivers this monologue that I think is probably the, like, I'll say maybe the worst written in a, It, it, the only thing in the movie that, but it, the, he also might be trying to do something with it. It's I think like he's yeah. theater. It, yeah. it, it, it came off as theater, like a theater monologue, mm-hmm. but the way it ends with the camera cutting just to her face, like I fucking hate people. <laughs> like, <laughs> the way she does that. It, I just, I, I belly laughed whenever I saw it the first time. And the second I was like, this is clunky, but I think it's on purpose. And I love it. So, I mean, that's that's another moment that really sticks with me. That and, like, some of the big action bits are just, like, striking visuals. Like, right. what the actual fuck? So, uh, just back to her text really quick. Um, well, when I couldn't fall back to sleep this morning, I came over here to watch the sunrise. And then I saw all these people starting their day with such tenacity, such verve. No one all, talks like that. <laughs> all in an effort to make something of themselves, make something of our world. I felt so lucky to be a part of that, but then I remembered what the world is actually like, and I came to a more accurate realization. I fucking hate people. <laughs> exactly. I feel like that, but right. I don't, no one talks like that. <laughs> no, no one does. And then the way that they do the hyper zoom in on her face. Oh so yeah. It's like a rack zoom. <laughs> oh my yeah. Lord. They, he went the entire length of that, that lens, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he started wide and, and he was like, you could, you could feel the, the, the zoom ring hit the stop exactly um, on the far end of it. But I think it, to me, that was a really strong visual and script uh, cue to say, okay, David, you're sitting here watching this film and you have a bunch of expectations and you have a bunch of thoughts about what you think is about to happen here. And this scene is here to tell you that everything that you thought is not actually going to be what occurs. Right. Right. It's just a big, strong signal to go, 
check your expectations right here because we're about You're to in go for on a weird journey. one. Yeah, you really are <laughs> yeah. in for a weird one. So, and then and then the next scene where they're driving in the car and she's looking up outside of the car with the camera mounted on the outside of the car and we're just looking at her sunglasses face as they're driving down the highway and she says leave the world behind. Mhm. And it's part of a conversation that we're dropping into probably with, I think, her sister on the phone and she's talking on her headphones. Uh, and then the camera moves inside the car somehow. Oh, yeah. I have no idea what they're doing there. I have it's no be idea. Some sort of a weird that. robot arm or something or a drone that is excellently <laughs> piloted. Yeah. But that's a cool scene, too. Because like it shows just like they're all together as a family and they are all completely alone because they're all in their own like in their own heads. You know, she's there on her phone talking. Um, Her husband's like just listening to a podcast or or trying to listen. He's trying to to get the game. He's trying to get the game on the radio. Yeah. The son is playing Call of Duty on his phone and then the, the daughter's watching Friends. Is that what uh, it was Call yeah. of Duty? <laughs> it's got it. It's it's basically it, whatever shoot shoot 'em up game. Uh, right. Probably you know they're they're leaning more Call of Duty than Aliens because he has some information later that mm-hmm. he's quote unquote learned from a video game. Right. Uh, the how to say death to America on a flyer. Right. right. Um, so let's talk about the the whole friends part of it, and even like through to the end final scene. What did you make of this theme? Because there's a line later on when Clay is sitting, him and Amanda are sitting in the uh, kitchen on their first night. And he starts talking about one of his students who's written a book and this uh, idea that media serves as both an escape and a reflection. And here we have the daughter who is so much more motivated by friends and the parasocial relationship she has with the characters on that show Mm -hmm. um, than she is by anything in the real world or any of her real human emotions, even though she's sort of, you know, craving it. And I I thought her character was really interesting too. She's so oblivious to the way the world works, but yet is the one who is so observant and connected in so many ways. There was a great scene too, when she goes out to see the deer, she walks barefoot out on the grass to go see the deer. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing. People talk about these days on internets. It's like, yeah, unplug your social media and go walk barefoot in the grass, touch grass, touch grass as they, as the kids say. Um, So I thought it was really interesting. And then that final shot where she gets to see the final episode of friends in the bunker of that house. And that's a dope bunker. Uh, it is. It, I, I don't know. I didn't know what to think of it at first. I was just left in such a state of, of shock, of joy, of, of, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't know how to process myself because it's so the movie was working on me on so many different levels. I, I know I called it whenever uh, Whenever she was going into the bunker. I was like, she's going to find the DVD box set. And oh, she's going to watch that. Last. I said done. it to my wife. I was like, it's uh-huh. going to happen. hundred percent. And uh-huh. she did. And I was, I was like, yes, nailed it. <laughs> crushed it. <laughs> I was like in there for it. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's a great way to, because like all this horror has happened and then you can't help but smile and clap along when that theme comes on. It's right. Maybe it's um, people pretty much my age and up 
who Friends was such a cultural touchstone for like huge, huge. And you just it was like a break, you know. You you it's maybe the first parasocial <laughs> like thing where like you feel like you know these people mm-hmm. and it's it felt more real i think than sitcoms earlier did you know you don't got you know it, it's not you know bundy the bundy family where they're all horrible to each other or anything like that <laughs> like or it, the cosby show where uh, you know you could see it but it was also removed enough that it was it's a, it's a, it was a smaller pocket of life yeah you know it's a and little it, bit know, more rarefied yeah, you're. Yeah, there, there were, there were things like Fresh Prince felt a little bit more real in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like Friends was a big one. It was just huge, and right. um, but ten seasons of it too. Like that's yeah. incredible. And it always ran in syndication and in reruns, which she right. said was the thing they, they, you know, the old people used to do or whatever. Whatever she said to Julia Roberts, <laughs> she's like, "What's that thing? <laughs> that old people used to do? reruns." She's so clueless about the world, but yet she is the one who is so um, in tune with certain things that the others are completely missing. Right, and all it takes is for her to not have Wi-Fi or whatever, so she can't watch Friends. And then she's like in there. She is touching the grass. She's looking yep. at the deer. Which, by the way, those the the hordes of deer is like deer in themselves because of how vacant eyed and stupid they are. Um, <laughs> they are a little bit creepy, um, but when you put a lot of them together, holy shit! What a visual! Very right. very affecting. Right. Um, and well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Where do we we talk about the the deer? The deer I thought was interesting in terms of the overall horror element. So this goes to another Hitchcockian element, like the birds. Yeah. Right. Where the birds are just sitting around staring at everybody for a while, and you're like, "This is weird. What's going on?" It and has so when to they, be supernatural. Like mm-hmm. it feels like that. Uh, when 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 all the deer were like that, it has to be an alien. It has to be supernatural. This isn't normal. <laughs> like that's that's the way it it was making me feel. Like, well, some shit's going down because this is right. not how deer act. Right. And then the way that they chase off the deer and they sort of have this um, when Amanda and Ruth have their bonding moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually does um, a lot of work for them because Ruth is coming to grips with the fact that she's lost her mother. She, even if her mother is alive, she's never going to see her again. Right. Um, it's not like Walking Dead season one, you know, early episodes where Rick finds his his family again, right? It's like, yeah. we're not doing that. Um, and so she's got to come to grips with it. And Amanda, who is a mother and she's trying to, you know, she's a person, she's got to have a plan and everybody, we've got to know what's going on. We've got to have all our pieces in place and everything like that. She can't not but help be maternal in some way. and. I thought that they're coming together after Amanda's just, you know, bullshit racist attitudes towards them. Yeah. That she got over herself in some way and could just be a human being and empathize with somebody who is coming to terms with loss of a really profound nature because Ruth really needs her mother. She says so. I need my mom and she's not here and I don't think she's ever coming back. Yeah, a lot of the character dynamics in this one are pretty pretty strong, uh, especially like basically uh, Amanda versus <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> like it's a it's pretty good. She's just such a like um, like a leader. Yes. Um, and yes. when whenever any sort of power is like threatened in her, she immediately attacks. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I think this can be a, a useful thing for a mother to carry around or a parent mm-hmm. in general. 
Um, but yeah, in, in this situation, and I, honestly, it kind of worked out for him in the end. But yeah, it, it, it was really nice to see after so much tension throughout the whole thing to, for them to finally like sort of stand together against what I don't know what those deer would have done. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not like they're going to, you know, weird. start, yeah, you know, pull a gun out from behind their like deer back right. and then, <laughs> right. you know. I guess maul them. That's that's the 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 but one thing they could do. Wildlife just to stare at you like that. That is a um, and not be afraid of you. That and you're outside of a zoo in a petting zoo environment. Uh, that these are wild creatures for them to not be is is a very disturbing thing. My um, <clears throat> a family member recently had an encounter, and we don't know if the animal was was rabbit or something like that, but it was a koi wolf. Uh, which is a, um, a hybrid animal that's be, that's coming up more and more, in, especially around the, in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And it just sat in the driveway and stared and wouldn't run off. And right. it was so unnerving for, for that person. They were like, uh, what do I do? And we don't confront wildlife on a regular basis. Absolutely not. Live, not if I can avoid it. <laughs> yeah, we don't live at that level anymore where we're encountering, I mean, okay, a chipmunk or a robin or something like that. But any sort of megafauna is uh, is very weird, and so it, it it all goes into that spreading doom of like, why are these animals doing this? This is so yeah. unnatural. I actually did have a moment with an animal that was irregular. Uh, there was a possum. I was at work the other. It was like a couple of months ago, and there was a possum who just like walked up to me. I was like, "Oh shit! What are you do- What are you doing, bud?" And I backed up. <laughs> exactly. And like, I called people. I was like, "Hey, there's a possum. Like, what do you want me to do?" And there, my my boss at the time was like, "You know, possums are North America's only marsupial, and as such, <laughs> they cannot." They cannot get uh, rabies, so do not be worried about rabies. I don't understand the animal's behavior, but don't worry. You will not get rabies from the possum. I was like, that's a very <laughs> interesting fact, but it's not going to help me here. Um, I love it. Yeah. So, But yeah, it, it is very unnerving when an animal who normally would run from you on site just walks up and does not give a fuck. <laughs> like right. It's weird, for sure. And it's th- that whole setup, too, of of the deer. So... The family goes out to Long Island to get away from the pressures of the city. To leave the world behind. To leave the world behind. And here they are being encountering the world, but the world is not what it seems. Something mm-hmm. is wrong here. And so it's not idyllic and pastoral. Like, like when they first see the deer, when I think Amanda looks out the kitchen window and says, oh, look, Clay, a, a oh. deer. <laughs> oh, oh. Look, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so to use such an innocuous animal to be this, it's not a harbinger, but like a, uh, a symptom of what's going wrong in the world, I thought was a really fun way. And it, and it fits. It fits for the story. On Long Island, you're going to see deer. You're not going to see, you know, that's, um, so it, it works from a storytelling standpoint that way. I agree. Very affecting. Yeah. It's always either a delight to see a deer or you're very mad because they're going to run themselves into your car. Right. It's, it's one of those two options. And that's basically the only action that most people have with deer these days. Let's talk a little bit about some of these set pieces. Um, so we have the deer, which is not really a set piece because it's more of an ongoing theme. Yeah, it's recurring. Yeah, but we have the tanker, the airplane, the drone, and the Teslas. I loved the slow roll of the tanker. It was great. Uh, mm-hmm. Where they're just like, oh, look, it's a tanker. And, you know, a little while longer. That thing's coming right this way. That's that's cool. It's getting close. Well, it's getting, it's getting real close. Hey, uh, wake up. We, we gotta move. <laughs> we gotta go. it, I love the way that that was handled, and like I, 
one thing I was just so happy that they ran sideways. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, like, and I, I, the scene just was the way it was rolling out. I, I expected that. I don't know what the bottom of a tanker looks like. I think they build them in the water, don't they? Uh, um, I draw, yeah. Tankers that size. I don't know. That's a good question. I can't imagine how they could move it into the water, but I, I, off, I expected but, yeah. it. To, I expected it to fall over whenever it fully got oh, beached, right. mm-hmm. like to roll to one side or whatever. But I was so happy that they didn't do the run on the train track instead of get off the train track situation. (laughs) No one in this movie feels, it it, it doesn't feel like anyone does anything horror movie stupid person at all. Like everyone is a real person, which I I, I really enjoyed. Like you just run sideways if there's a thing coming at you on a predetermined track. Right. Um, Yeah, I I, I love the the way that felt. Then there's the guys down on the shore who are standing right next to it and doing the video. And then they like, they run at the last second. I'm like, that's very contemporary. That is very yeah, real. Cause I mean, you look at the, everything through the lens of your phone and you're mm-hmm. like, that's not real. That's not happening in front of Objects me. It's happening in my phone. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah, it, just it, a, it is that thing. A, a, a great visual uh, as well. And a great way to set up the, um, the uh, dissolving of infrastructure and and the, all of these computerized systems, which is another big theme that this movie tackles, is our dependence on technology. Um, yeah. Clay getting lost. Uh, um, uh, not Ruth. Um, what's the daughter's name? Rose. Rose. You know, being upset because she can't watch um, the finale of Friends. Too. The finale. The finale. So, uh, you know, you can't read the Airbnb terms, uh, to see whether you can kick me out of the rented house or not. Right. <laughs> but I thought that the, the tanker really served as a great metaphor for this reality to crash into our fantasy. Definitely. It was the first real sign of like, shit is actually going down. Pay attention. Like in the movie. Uh, and how much of our world do we, is, is unseen to you and I. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, okay, I drive my my car. Uh, you know, I, I got to go to the store. The the gas for that more than likely came on that tanker, but I'll never see that tanker. Or I'll see the tank. Oh, look, look. You know, we're flying over somewhere or something. Oh, there's some tankers out in the ocean. I know intellectually there are tankers out there, but viscerally, I don't have an experience of what tankers do, what they sound like, what they smell like, what they look like up close. And so to have one run itself up. <laughs> <laughs> the beach yeah. where I'm having holiday and living my, you know, I'm getting away from the stresses of the real world. And I'm in, and again, still in my real world, but it's a fantasy world to have the two worlds, that infrastructure world suddenly collide and crash into my vacation world. Right. And that's we, such a good point. It's like a, like a, you know, like a, food truck crashing into like a grocery store or something where you're seeing like, you're seeing like the, how the sausage is made. Exactly. That's a really interesting point. Like I I didn't even really consider that with the tanker. They, they do call it out uh, later on uh, that it was a, a, probably a fuel tanker, I think. Yeah. But uh, definitely look at one. It's really interesting. Yeah. The, 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 what is the the infrastructure world coming to grips with us? Uh, Right. Really cool. Then did you notice the name of the tanker? I, I feel like I looked at it in the moment, but I don't know it right now. It was uh, a white, it's called White Lion. Um, okay. And I haven't done any work on, I didn't do any any lookups of what that might possibly be, but it goes into what Sam Esmail is doing in this film throughout. Rose at one point is wearing a NASA t-shirt. 
um, the, uh, the son, Archie is wearing an obey t-shirt. Uh, there's a bikini kill t-shirt, you know, I there's, saw that. Yeah. uh, there's a, there's a, a mug. I think it's a Phillies mug on the nightstand in their apartment in Brooklyn, which is sort of an inside joke with some other people. So there's all these little things seeded through throughout. And so, and it's not like the name of the tanker is determinative any way on the, on the story. But I, you know, I, I love the fact that there are depths and reasons why, why is this person wearing this t-shirt? What, what is Sam Esmail saying? Mm-hmm. Right. What is, what is he nodding to? What is he, you know, uh, reaching out to, to give us some depth to this story? So if you want to go chase those, you can, and if not, you know, there's, there's nothing lost. And I will say this film does invite a, a rewatch really well. Um, mm-hmm. the beginning does like, um, the beginning credits uh, as they open do like a sort of a clip show how things do now like a stylized art thing and like it shows like different things in the movie like these blocks become tests yes uh, yes like yes. I, I think it's a really interesting uh so like once you've seen the movie everything starts jumping out at you exactly of, like you know a- everything leading up to what it eventually shows like i, I, I totally know right that. now but julia roberts drops this line right up top was like oh shit that's that's the movie like it's the whole thing right there um yeah, yeah did you it, speaking of those hidden things too did you notice that in the opening shot of the sort of the earth from space as we come in on the coastline it's the it's north america but uh oriented so that florida is on the top of the screen screen and the long island you know coast where they are is sort of down the bottom so he's he's inverted the camera down. just like he's inverted the camera throughout the the whole production of this thing yeah because the, the camera does do that where it keeps rolling uh in like i say rolling and it's confusing for a camera but it does like a, <laughs> the camera itself does a barrel roll right uh, like, like that and one thing i wanted to, to look but i didn't have time to do it was if lights persisted because we keep getting all these global shots like next to a satellite mm-hmm. if like city lights and stuff because in the first shot of the globe in the very opening of the movie where you get that um that mode the musical mode there with the piano right um it shows uh the planet there like you're saying with florida on top and it shows the city lights and everything as the sun is wrapping around and i'm wondering if as the movie goes along we're going to see less of those lights or if this was just a, an american phenomenon which i'm not interesting sure yeah no i, I w- you know then that's the kind of detail that i would expect sam would pay attention to definitely and and, and have done Let's talk about the uh, airplane crash when uh, GH is gone over to his neighbor's house to investigate, um, you know, try and see if he can find anybody to talk to. What did you think uh, about this scene and the the setup of it? I loved it. Uh, so just the the discovery of like, there, what is all this shit everywhere? <laughs> like, what happened <laughs> right? here? I was, I th- my my wife was like, what, what's happening? I was like, that looks like a divorce. Uh, you just see like <laughs> clothes, clothes all in the yard and stuff. I'm like, right. wow interesting let's let's continue so he walks in and you know he experiences all that and then it goes to the arm where he and yes uh, i wasn't exactly sure how much of what was coming up out of the sand i was like that's a watch that's going to be on an arm i know it and then it's just the arm and it like the reveal of the beach as you're seeing the first plane it is like is just such an oh shit moment and then you just see another one coming um this isn't a movie for the visuals, I don't 
think like I think you watch this movie for the actors. Mm-hmm. It's an actor movie, but this Wait, is the CGI, stuff. the deer, the plane. The, yeah, they're a little little soft, uh, it, but but still. it's fine. Like it's fine. it is, exactly. it's good. Like I don't give a shit it's about any enough. of that. Yeah. Yes, we we still play eight bit video games now because we like it. Like this is <laughs> this isn't going to be you know that. You, you, you know it but it's so affecting watching that plane come down and gh's reaction to it like everything is played so well um and, and i it, love it that just, we are left on a little cliffhanger too like did he survive and then the next scene is why are you all wet <laughs> yes <laughs> right? a, a couple of did he survive situations like the 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 crop dusting um mm-hmm. the, which i i did i was like is that metal shavings coming this is obviously with ethan hawk's character um later on or earlier, I can't remember. It was kind no, of concurrent, it's, it's wasn't so, it? Sort of at the same time because, well, he's well. Gh is at the neighbor's house. Um, Clay has gone out to try to go to town and, and yes. gotten lost. So this is this is simultaneous. Oh, and I think at some point too earlier on in that morning, there's a sound of a plane overhead mm-hmm. flying over. Like you can just I, I heard it on my second watch. Like they're sitting, they're having coffee in the kitchen or something like that. And I forget when exactly. You hear the plane. But you hear a plane. And then on my second watch, I was like, oh, damn, that's the plane that just crashed at the neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you never know like how loud something is. <laughs> like, would it be super loud for a plane to crash near you? I know like if you've ever been around a car accident, mm-hmm. like it is so loud, like mm-hmm. it is shockingly loud, but it's probably not like a nuke going off or anything. You, you know, I don't know if you'd feel it from a mile or two away, a plane crashing. I don't think you would or I don't no. think you'd hear it, but yeah. you'd probably hear it screaming on its way down, which you did in the movie. I think yeah. that's really interesting. Um, the visual also of the crop dusting Oh, before we go into the crop dusting thing really quick. Yep. I just want to say for me, you know, I got a lot of lost vibes from the airplane. Okay. Yeah. I I think I I felt you there. I was not a big lost guy, but I did watch the first season. Uh, That's all you need for that. Yeah. That's all you, (laughs) that's all you need. The, the, the other thing that that does though, is that it sets up a great point of dramatic tension between GH and Ruth. Yes, because definitely. Because he told them it. about the plane crash without upsetting Ruth, and so that that goes into Ruth's whole thing when she's talking to Amanda, saying, "Well, I disagree. I don't think you should protect your children. You should tell them the truth of all of this kind of stuff." So when Gh withholds from her, she's not Very only hurt hurtful. by the fact that she could have lost her mother, but you lie, you 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 lied by omission to me. Yeah, you fell in. Oh no, she, no, he he outright lied and lied because he said, "I fell in the pool." Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, he did. He did. Lie. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I guess he did. I was. I guess my brain was like, maybe he did fall in the pool, <laughs> <laughs> hiding from the plane. He no idea. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I just thought, from as a device, as a storytelling device, the airplane really sets that part of the tension up between uh, Ruth and Gh, uh, yes. where there's this Which, pain and this hurt. We didn't really get into it, but the tension of Gh and Ruth running up on the family at the house in itself was like really, really good. Like really strong. Oh man. Yes. Um, because like e- everyone's nightmare going to an Airbnb is for the owners to come up and be like, we're staying with you. Scoot <laughs> over. Like it's, it's the worst thing that could happen when it comes right. to an Airbnb. Um, the Especially way in an isolated area and with wonky service to begin with, like how do you get yes. help if you needed help? Racial connotations aside, I don't yeah. think at first uh, Amanda's reaction is all too unwarranted because mm-hmm. like 
it is weird having strangers in your house. Um, right. It's their house, but that doesn't mean that doesn't make it any like easier. And like her skepticism of just like whether or not these people are telling the truth or, um, you know, like she's got a lot of good questions that, um, that maybe I wouldn't consider. I'm much more of the clay vein. Like, Hey, we're cool, man. Let's just, you know, come on, have a drink. We'll talk it out. Everything will be Gucci baby. But she's, she's such a, Amanda is such a protector that right right out of the gate. She's like, who are you? Where's your, where's the mother? Like, you know, she has all these really smart questions, which are then layered in with uh, racist overtones of like, yes. oh, how can how could you, a black family, own this house that does not even that seems even less plausible to me with all the other reasonable unplausibilities that are there. Like you don't have an ID, we can't do the email to check. Like where are the pictures of you on the wall? Like right. there's all those other little subtle things which aren't in general are not bad clues to be thinking about. But then she layers in that racism, that casual racism, so yes. heavy on top of it right there. Yeah. And GH, like you can tell, like GH is aware, but he's, he's so used, used to, to this. It. He's, he's yes. so used to dealing with that world. Mahershala did an interview where he was talking about uh, how black men are very aware uh, mm-hmm. of how they're coming off to outsiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, since they've had to deal with like such ingrained racism. Mm-hmm. And um, he also said that thankfully the younger generation isn't as aware of it because the world we're in, like some things are getting weirder. Hopefully it gets weirder before it gets better. But anyway, um, <laughs> something like that, the younger generation doesn't really have to deal with it as much, which it comes across in, in Ruth, in my mm-hmm. uh, performance where she's like, this is right. Like she's obviously like, this is <laughs> right. obvious racism, but GH, it, it plays, he plays it much more like, yes, it is racism. How do we get beyond it? Right. <laughs> we, this is our house. We have to be careful around these people because you never know what can happen with them. Um, I, it's a very skittish, that, dangerous animal, the white man. Right. Very, very. <laughs> Especially when you're using a piece of art from the owner's house to potentially bludgeon the owner with because you don't have a bat. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I that was such a funny little thing like, oh, I've got this like art and like, that's my art. Then you're going right. to hit me with it. And exactly. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's sort of weird. Uh, yeah, I, I think I thought it would be remiss if we, if we didn't at least cover like how tense that first meeting of them was mm. because it gets into it. And that's like a big part of the first uh, chapter act. What do they call mm-hmm. it? Yep. Chapter. Yep. Chapter. The house, I believe, is the, the chapter name for that. Right. Beautiful house also, by the way. Which is a whole other but, thing we have. We're going to try to talk about. This, the hard part about this here. film is it is, it is it's so uh, it's like a web of, of interconnectivity. And how do you break it down? How do you go about systematically um, dis- discovering this film and talking about all its elements because what everything tug is tugging on something else. Very yeah. dense. I love it. Very. Do you want to get into the uh, crop dusting? I do. I want to talk since we were talking about the families and their meeting and the, and the racism aspect, I have to talk quickly about that scene or that shot of them, of uh, Clay and Amanda standing inside the house and GH and Ruth standing outside the house. Yes. And the way that he shot that so that the camera is really far back. So we see everything, but the camera is standing in line with the line of the wall of the house. Yes. And the house has been cut away. And sectioned so that we see both interior and exterior simultaneously. And it is 
a gorgeous shot. The lighting of the indoor and the outdoor lighting, the two families confronting each other, these questions of race. Like this is GH's house, but yet he built it, he paid for it, and yet he's being excluded by the white people who are borrowing it for a weekend and are excluding him from his own place, even though he's doing it by intent because yeah, hey, I'm renting the house to you, but Mm -hmm. like just, just all of that complexity in that shot and that shot is visually beautiful masterpiece. Just an absolute. Totally agree. And they do the same thing later because of course he's staying in his own basement instead yes. of like the bedroom of the house, but they do that same shot. Uh, but they do a tracking shot coming from underneath yes. up into the house and you see through the floor and everything. Kind of like how in cartoons you used to do that thing where if you go underground, you'd see like skeletons of dinosaurs right, and stuff exactly, as it passed through right. into like a basement. It's like that, but like, realized and beautiful like you see like it 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 brings the camera up through that like i would love to know how they did this whether they actually had like a a bisected house like on a set or if it is just cg like yeah so on the big picture podcast uh with um uh that's which is a a ringer verse podcast yes i need i still want to listen to that you sent it to me but i just you know right yeah yeah it's fine um the so sam asmail is talking uh about some of that and he doesn't clue in because one of the co-hosts of that show, Amanda Ryan, um, oh, sorry, sorry, not Amanda Ryan, uh, Amanda Dobbins. Uh, he, Sam has been on that show before and they kind of all know each other. So he's joking with her a little bit and like, did you pick on, pick up on what we, and how we did the house or what I did to the house? But he gives clues later and you can kind of piece it together if you think, you know, if you, if you uh, kind of think about it for a moment with the camera work specifically is the big clue. So that's a real house that they shot partial, you know, they shot it partially on location out on, on Long Island. But what they did was they rebuilt the house or big sections of the house on a soundstage. Okay. And then they, you know, they market, they do um, uh, some work with whatever software they use to match the camera and the physical soundstage with the physical house in the real world. And then they can CGI stitch those things together, kind of like the way that they work in the volume in the Disney stuff, right? Okay. Where they use a lot of processing to create uh, parallax views so that um, the fin of this ship is matches perfectly with the LED screen background. So you don't feel like you you feel that the scale is correct or or what have you. So I think what they did, because he never confirms this explicitly, but this is my theory is that they built a the house and then so all of those tracking shots where we move through a wall or you know up and down vertically or there's that great shot where we follow Amanda when she's in the living room going upstairs all the way up to the, the bedroom yeah. yeah and the camera is doing these barrel rolls and twists and follows um i think it's because they had a um uh, a sound stage version of the house where it yeah, had, had no roof a Barbie dream house that they could film in where it's the, no sides and everything. Barbie yeah. dream house is the perfect analogy for it. That's exactly yeah. what it is. So uh, absolutely amazing. And the freedom to, as for like the, the director of photography, the cinematographer to, okay, well, we don't have to deal with elements, rain, sunshine, whatever. But now I can have these cranes with these cameras doing these insane physical motions that I could never do on a real house somewhere. Um, gave them the freedom to do all of this extra stuff. And I, I, it's just a really 
it, it, it was really fun to see them playing around with uh, the camera work and the way that they told the story. And like we said before, the, the upside down camera stuff makes you feel upside down in the story. Yes. Which is how I would feel maybe if my phone started stopped working and a bunch of deer were walking around in my yard. It is so disorienting in a very fun way. Yeah. Like it's such a like a surprisingly visually interesting movie for like a, a movie shot in a house basically. Uh because of that. Because yeah. they got to use the Barbie dream house approach. Awesome. All right, so let's talk about the drone. Maybe we should have just uh, done this film just through the uh, the these uh, set pieces. That would have been a good analytical framework. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's working. Um, the uh, yeah, I think we're doing fine. Uh, the the drone was it was the first time uh, that it looked like an attack was happening. Um, did you mm. think it was a gas, or what did you think was coming out of that that uh, that crop dusting plane? I was really perplexed. Yeah. I thought, yeah, was it a was it a gas? I mean, and and not only was I questioning what was it, why is it all the way out here in Long Island? There's nobody sure. out here where they are. This is like farmland. Um, so wh- why would you be dropping those things out here? So that was the two questions I had. Like, what the hell is that? And um, and I was starting to panic too because Clay was panicking because Ethan Hawke acted the hell out of that scene he did especially with with uh when he was talking to the uh the uh hispanic woman on the side of the road yeah and she was speaking in spanish and he couldn't he didn't he didn't know how to speak spanish i i picked up a couple of words uh Mm -hmm. and one of them was rojo which is red right and i saw the red cloud at first and i was like Mm. oh shit this dude's about to get like you know i thought he was getting gassed or whatever right like some sort of a chemical weapon attack Mm -hmm. yes and then when it was just the flyers it's like, what the hell? Like, it's just, it, it was like shocking to me for some reason. But yeah, like that visual of that, the red cloud beautiful. coming down. Very good. And he, the way he likes, he spins, he spins the car around and drives the fuck away. Like, good. Uh, <laughs> like that is a smart, smart move. Not a horror this. movie. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I'm going to be a hero or something. And I love the fact that when they when they show him stepping down on the accelerator, he's like, he's wearing sandals. <laughs> yeah, he wears flip flops the whole movie. Got to be very movie. comfortable. Yeah. Uh, the way he like he also the way he leaves that woman high and dry is oh, sort of this. It, it's it's uh, affecting. And it's the way that people ignore when uh, a homeless person is standing at a intersection or whatever at a, at a red light, mm-hmm. uh, you just sort of like turn your head away and you pretend that they're not there. He did. Right. He does this to this woman, which is brutal, but, uh, and, and just the way he drives off and then he has to sort of like hold that with him for the rest of the movie. He brings it up later when he's smoking a doobie with, uh, with, uh, Ruth or a vape when they're mm-hmm. vaping yeah, out right. by the pool. Um, yeah, that was, um, that was a fun conversation too, by the way, not to get too, too much in the weeds, but the way that the, the characters sort of like all kind of go off to have their own little moments together. Uh, right. Really Cause that was happening simultaneously with, uh, GH and Amanda listening to records. Yes. Right. Um, so the, and then with clay, obviously he cares about people. He's a very con, you know, he's a sort of a, he, he sees himself as a kind and easygoing sort of person. He has a little emotional moment earlier on when the kids are playing in the pool. It makes him really happy. And, uh, you know, I feel very much like a clay. Like I, mm. I, he's the character in the movie I resonated with the most. Do you quote like, the NPR and the Atlantic? <laughs> I read about this thing in the Atlantic one time, or I heard a I story quote, on NPR. 
I quote dumber sources, but yes, I do lots of quotes. <laughs> I, I, I get a lot of my news from NPR. If there's a big thing happening, I just tell my phone to tell me the news and it, it live from NPR. Right, this is right. whoever. I love um, that. They, so, that's so very uh, uh, Sunset Park, uh, uh, Sunset uh, 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 Park Slope uh, kind of thing of being a dad and listening to feels know, like very well modern insights. connected man connected to the internet. Uh, right. <laughs> Who gets like, lost? Yeah, it's, I'm the same way. I'm I'm a <laughs> professional driver, and right. I always have my GPS on just because it it keeps you up to date with like traffic and everything. But if you ask me a road name, I'll tell you I don't know, and mm. I'm a professional. I get paid lots of money to drive. But that is that is true. If all of the maps were to go down, I would be screwed. I know mm. I just learned that depending on whether a, a interstate road ends with a five or in a zero, if it's going vertically or horizontally. Right. I just learned that. <laughs> and I'm a professional. So I, I very much uh, am with this man where um, if it's a detail that you don't need to know, it's gone. He's right. gone, baby. We don't right. need it. <laughs> the, right. There's too much going on in the world. Unclutter your mind, whereas Amanda is the opposite. My mm. wife's name is also Amanda, and she is also this type of a person. Mm-hmm. So like, it, I, it, I was like, look, it's us. It's us on this movie. <laughs> it, it felt very much that way. That's hilarious. But then for, for Clay to leave her on the side of the road, he, that is so antithetical to who he thinks he is as a person in this world. And it's so... Yep unnerves him and upsets him that that in each of the characters have a sort of undoing moment where they're yeah. they have to sort of become untethered from the fantasy world that they're living in and then as gh says later you know as he he was a person who prided himself and always being able to see the world as it was but right. even he's deluded even he is not yet re- has to go through something and in the plane crash i think is his moment Mm-hmm. To to come to the realization that that he he's got to leave the world behind, and and face this you know face this for what it really is, right? And he he de- he definitely has moments where he keeps like because he just keeps putting it off like now mm-hmm. like you know it's it's yes, it's not going right. to be that bad it's not going to be that bad. Well, no, tomorrow we'll Kevin, sleep on it. Yeah, Kevin Bacon's not going to shoot me in the face whenever I need this medicine. <laughs> like right. it's it's like little bits where it's just like he just keeps putting it off because he's it, it can't be the end. It can't be right. Even though great, great Chekhov's plain, gun, by the way, we see it in the first act and it's used in the third. I act. pointed at the screen. I looked at my wife and I said, it's Chekhov's gun. <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> yeah. I, I know things about movies. I just don't watch very many of them. That's Chekhov's gun. She said, shut up. <laughs> so the, this drone too, and this flyer, it was very North by Northwest. Again, another Hitchcock comp, right? The, you know, with, uh, is it Cary Grant running away from the crop duster? Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. I've seen yeah. that parodied many times. I, I haven't seen the movie. It was parodied on Family Guy once where he was running. Uh, Peter right. Griffin <laughs> ran away from a plane. But I, I know the reference. So, but then this flyer. So tell, say, say more a little bit about this flyer. Because if it comes from the Call of Duty world, I, I was like, huh? Like, what is this? I, I, I don't. A lot of things parody Call of Duty because Call of Duty is a parody. Uh, okay, it's not like it's not like a you know a Marvel Cinematic Universe where it's like a specific thing. Mm-hmm. But Call of Duty is like an it is Fast and the Furious of war. So like it is dumb action movie, but war. Okay. So depending on whatever version you're playing of that game, um, it's a very easy thing to to use as like a, this is just quote unquote call of duty. Mm -hmm. But, uh, 
in the modern warfare version of the games, a lot of them are taking place in like, you know, the Middle East or wherever, like Russia. They're not taking place in Russia, but they're like villains that are like vaguely, sure. you know, vaguely the enemy. Uh, that, that's it could be called Call of Duty, vaguely the enemies. Um, but uh, the he's able to because of you know bullshit he's seen in the game identify that this means death to America, which I loved Kevin Bacon's thing, uh, the character Danny, who is just the right. <laughs> the what do we want to call him? Yeah, he's a contractor, but we want to call him a blue collar conspiracy man. Should we yeah, call him that? Yeah, he's a, a, he's a working man. I don't think he was like a prepper prepper because he was loading up a lot at the last minute there. He would have already had all of that prior, I think. He was wearing a Dallas Cowboys hat, but he could very be easily be wearing a red one. Um, so, right. <laughs> he could. I'll, I'll say that. And that's funny because Sam is doing that. He's, he's putting in, uh, again, T-shirts, hats, mugs, all of these little things. There's a whole bunch of cultural iconography. I can mm-hmm. say that word embedded in this movie. And so uh, that hat, it, it doesn't have a deep, deep meaning. It's not determinative, but it, it's a visual signal for us to interpret. And if you have, if you're a sports fan, it says something to you clearly, right? right? It's mm-hmm. boom. There's a, there it is. Right. And they cowboy. see, you see it in the shot. Right. And in, and Clay or GH even says wearing cowboy or a, a cowboy's hat. Yep. And of course, when you see the character again, he is wearing it. Yeah. I cannot remember why I brought him up in the first place. Right. So there's, there's so many like set piece moments still that we really haven't like the Teslas. Yeah. Dude, oh, wait, the Teslas, we haven't talked about that yet. Uh, you have here, I'll go ahead and just say it. Great modern horror trope. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely is. Um, it's, it's, you know, what everyone's afraid of with a, with electric cars that are like, that are controlled, like in self-driving cars. <laughs> I don't know why it took me so long to get there. I just saw actually a note from today. They recalled like a whole bunch of these cars, a whole bunch of Teslas because of the self-driving things too. Oh, so really? it's like, yes, I woke up and I read that and I was like, I'm recording a podcast today. <laughs> Perfect. A, a whole section of this movie where they, they, they got to like do this horrifying Tesla situation. So yeah, the, the Tesla is just running themselves and they're all white Teslas too, mm-hmm. running themselves into each other on this, like trying to get out of town. Um, uh, I actually, oh, sh- the, I remember now it was, oh, you remember your Kevin Col- Bacon point, the Call of Duty connection. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Kevin, that's right. That's right. Kevin Bacon brings up a point. Well, we'll get back to Tesla's, but yes. where, uh, in a different city under a different context, they're dropping things with like a Korean message of death to America. Okay. So like, and you know, I can't necessarily trust Kevin Bacon in this situation because he seems very much a conspiracy guy. Mm. Uh, although he was right. Um, he did get the water. He knew stuff was coming, but you know, it, maybe he's right for the wrong reasons. Right. But um, mm-hmm. but this Tesla situation was so good and also played very well. Where Julia Roberts, you know, doesn't just wait. She says, "Up, oh, they're stacked up. There's an, there's more coming. Get in the car. We're going." And uh, the action hero moment of for her is driving around these things and not getting her whole family killed by you know rogue Teslas. Well, I don't want to play Call of Grand Theft Auto, but I could see it, it, it felt very video game dodging these cars in that way. It did. I, I'm a professional driver. I don't know if she could. Uh, I don't know if she could handle like if I could handle this situation of you know skirting around cars and they were in a Jeep Cherokee as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. a pretty nice one too. Uh, but yeah, she she handled the hell out of that and got her family out of there. And then the, the hard cut right back to, uh, Mahershala opening the door (laughs) for them because they can't, now they can't get out of town. Yeah, It was Um, brilliant. Yeah. 
But the way that he Sam set that scene up, because at first we're like, huh, that's weird. And then the shots back and forth between her face and the sticker, and then the sticker again, and this, you know, with a close-up on the self-driving. It was really I think as an audience member, I was ahead of her by a couple of steps, but that's Same, what you yes. what that's what you want. So that when the character reveals it, we feel smart. We feel like, oh look, I solved the mystery. Perfect breadcrumbs. Lots, exactly. lots of points in this movie where they breadcrumb you like that, where yeah. you're you're slightly ahead of the character. I knew that, you know, the by the end of the movie, uh, you know, in the last scene, I was gonna be clapping along to the friends theme. Same right. situation where it's like, oh shit, the Teslas are coming. The Teslas are coming. And and, and you know, Amanda caught right on. She was like, oh, 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 it's happening. Get out. What a great Get in the car. modern. <laughs> in the car. Yeah. And, and he's like, what? Why? It was, yeah. it was perfect. I mean, it, it told the story of the family as well. And because they were the family, their dynamic was playing out in that action scene. And it was a very real. The mom take, you know, or Amanda, that human being taking control of the situation. While uh, Clay, the other human being, the thing who's more soft and emotional and and about people is not thinking about practicalities of life. Yes. Uh, so it, it was perfect. And in what a great modern context, a, a great commentary on the world. And then going back to the theme, of course, of dependence on technology and mm-hmm. when that technology can be used in uh, in the ways that it's not intended to be used. Exactly. So perfect. So now every time I see a Tesla, I'm like, oh, damn. Side eye. <laughs> a side eye of that Tesla. That's right. Big time. I don't have much to say about Archie, except that he is such a little shit for the whole movie and he never mm-hmm. gets better. And it's another one of those moments that uh, I was wondering how much of this could be supernatural or not uh, with well, the, the noise. The, the, well, the noise. We haven't even talked about the we noise. We haven't even talked There's about so the noise. Much. There's the noise, but the tick bite. Yes, um, that was weird. I wasn't sure exactly like, is this going to be a zombie situation? Because this dude just starts falling apart. He gets mm-hmm. sick. His teeth fall out of his head. There's this crazy noise. How much on the hook of that? Like, I guess real quick, what did you think going in? And what did the movie have you believing as far as like, did you think this was a supernatural thing? Did you think aliens? Did you think terrorism? Like, what what was your head? Where, right. where was your head at? The, so, thing? yeah, that's a good question because I didn't actually think about it. I just knew that it was going to be a start of an, an apocalypse. I, I loved the whole disorientation, like what and people theorizing, well, power plants and, you know, uh, you know, you know, these kinds of, uh, you know, satellites are tethered to the you know, to ground stations and things like that. So they're theorizing and trying to make up answers in the moment, but it, without an internet or a phone or a television to tell you what's going on, that's how he really told the story from the ground, whereas a lot of disaster films tell the story from above. We see the meteor striking down, right? Or we yes. see the situation room and the, the president being briefed. Well, Mr. President, if you know if we don't do X, Y, and Z, the earth is going to be destroyed. And this is how, it, right? So we don't get any of that until the very one of those very end, ending scenes. Yeah, we just get the characters speculating in the way that the characters would speculate. Would speculate. Um, and so the... I going into the show, I had no expectations of what or how it was going to emerge. the 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 end of things as we as we know them was going to emerge. I I think I knew that maybe embedded in because Sam SML made Mister Robot that there would be some sort of 
technology component to it. Sure. But I, I certainly wasn't expecting aliens or Air Force One, you know, or any of that kind of Michael Bay or, you know, you know, any of that big explosion type of uh, stuff. So I, I really didn't expect anything. And so when this, when we first hear the noise, I was really WTF. I right, was like, yeah. what is this? Because it, it sounds like there's missiles flying overhead. There's a whole bunch of different sounds that don't give me any clues as to what exactly is happening. And then the sound is everywhere and it's affecting everyone at sort of the same levels. And then that brings up a whole question of this movie is too, that this movie never answers any questions. Yes. We don't know what's going on other than that there's been a cyber attack uh, to, to the point that it's crippled the infrastructure of the country. Yes. That's and that's it. all we know too, the country. Right. We don't know if it's global or what. Right. Which I, I, uh, I don't care. I, I think that the story is told and I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with that. I guess to, I, we're not wrapping it up yet, but the, the, that's how I feel about a story that doesn't tell you everything. I don't need to know everything. Um, right. I, in, especially in a story like this, maybe I want more in a TV show. I want some answers because mm-hmm, that's part mm-hmm. of the fun is knowing the mm-hmm. answers. But in a movie, I think you get the wiggle room to, to have your own speculation, to, to build your own story in your head, as long as everything is there to do it for you. Um, and interestingly enough, Amanda is that kind of person who can't not have an answer. Yes. Right. She's not okay with not knowing. Whereas Clay is cool, baby. He's cool <laughs> as a cucumber. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, which I, you know, I, I loved that. I will say that I was supernatural the whole way through. Okay. All the way to the okay. end. I was like, this is aliens. This mm-hmm. is, uh, monsters are not, maybe Kaiju, not monsters, but yeah, like, right, yeah, yeah, who even like, but it's gotta be something deer. Don't act like that it, the whole time. The, the rapture, it mm-hmm. could have been anything, mm-hmm. but yeah. And I guess technically it still could, who knows? I, I'm, I'm going to say it was the rapture. And it is archangels that are bombing New York. City. <laughs> well, I'm Mahershala or GH does say, or he does un, unfold the theory, which is, didn't they do this in, maybe they didn't do it in Mr. Robot. Maybe I'm confusing some movies, but like, oh, there was, maybe it was one of the diehard movies where they talk about like a fire sale, you know, these hacker concepts, right. Yes. And these, these sort of socially engineered catastrophes that you can build. I'm sure some of that was in, in Mr. Robot as well. I think so. Yeah, but that, you know, so GH unfolds that. So, and then the sound, now I haven't heard Sam Esmail talk about this at all, but to me, what that was, it was the Havana syndrome thing where there's these ultrasonic weapon stuff. Yeah, the microwave weapons and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. And so I, I don't understand the tick bite. The, the symptoms don't set that quickly. It doesn't right. happen that fast. Um, and the tick has to be on for a long, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff around that. But yeah, you don't get Lyme disease like that. <laughs> no, you yeah, don't. This is not it. This it's not how it works. I am rural. That, yeah, it, it takes forever. Yeah. Uh, but the microwave thing and the teeth. So the teeth was the one moment that I was like, huh, okay, this is a little weird. I'll go with it. Because yeah, now it's it, a multi-pronged attack. It's not just a cyber attack. It is right. a, it is a like, chemical weapon attack. Could, oh, here's a theory if, if we want to you know, get behind it. What if that what if that is not the sound is not a weapon that's being used by a foreign adversary but a weapon being used by American authorities or state authorities to subdue problems in the city or to you know fight some sort of other factional element that is because as the 
society is breaking down and people are facing off against each other, maybe they were using that as a way to try to cauterize uh, the civil unrest. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's go a, for that. It's a non-lethal way, to, and uh, you know, our government has had no trouble uh, blasting us with non-lethal or lethal, for that matter, uh, ways to make us shut up. So right. I think it completely makes sense. I don't know what they did to the ticks. But they did something because <laughs> Archie's the, teeth fell out. Right. And uh, I think that might be because of the microwave thing, because that's uh, so reportedly oh, one so? of the symptoms that, that goes along yeah. with um, with the Havana syndrome stuff. So, yeah, maybe oh, somewhere hey. yeah, okay. in those yeah, secret military installations that, you know, where was it? Was it Amanda who was saying, where don't they have those things? Or I forget who, who said it, but what somebody was saying, where are those things or where are the yeah. power plants? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I maybe think- there's um, maybe there were these weapons out. And so they're being act maybe they could be even be activated by the cyber terrorists right you know whoever is causing it and they're just flipping those things on as they can i think gh has probably got the right of it um mm-hmm. he he gives like the the plain reading of what has actually happened right where it's like world's gone to shit all the rich people knew about it a couple days in advance all that they can do is give you a nod uh right. like Great yeah, storytelling thanks. way to, to the way that he re- recounts that story, the way he reaches her arm and grabs her and stops her from leaving. Yeah. Like, Hey, this is important. Um, this is important, but she's like afraid of the violence that's about yes. to happen, but it's mm-hmm. not, he's just got to finish the story. And the story is so he didn't laugh. He just, you know, he said goodbye and I felt, yeah, it was just so unweird. It was not his normal character. Really? That was my signal. Yeah. Um, I, I, I loved that. And I do think probably as far as the mystery of the movie goes, GH is probably it, the plain reading is probably right. Right. Um, and that's all that's, that, that's the way I took it. I, I was kind of taking the piss when I said, uh, aliens or uh, you know, rapture, <laughs> but I think, well, GH I think probably that's right. probably the why the, the movie isn't polling as, as well is because I think this is where Sam Esmail is cutting across the grain. Normally we have answers. Normally we get the big picture. We have that third-person omniscient um, point of view of seeing the ma- the asteroid hitting the surface of the Earth. Mm-hmm. In this movie, where the camera is down on the ground with the people experiencing it, with no answers, no information, and we are just we have to sit with that. And I think that is unnerving to people. Yes, <laughs> when they see that's this, the point, right? Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> is the point this, mo- of this movie. This movie is about the people. It's not about the problem. Mm-hmm. It is about the people, and I think that he did such a good job telling a human story in a very non-human situation. And the, there are a couple of other uh, theme. Well, is, are they themes or, or maybe even the thesis of this is that the real answer is that no one is in control and that God helps those who help themselves. God, small G God, um, sure. because that's, that's actually not biblical. It's, it's apparently ancient Greek, and then it made its way into Aesop's fables. And so that sort of, you know, is gotten around. But the, the, <laughs> the West Wing comment, yeah, I only watched the Sorkin seasons. Uh, that was a very <laughs> <laughs> nod. Yeah. Um, but that this idea that um, there's no one in control, there's no one coming to save us. We are here with ourselves and we have to take some agency and ownership of our lives. <clears throat> and we have to examine our dependence on technology. <laughs> Maybe you should start carrying a Thomas guide and, <laughs> you know, with I you should, when you're I driving should, around, right? I should bone up on reading maps. I know how to do it, but man, it's been a minute since I've had to. <laughs> so I think it's a, uh, I think he's, you know, this big 
big statements that he's making are this idea of um, media and this, you know, is media being a reflection in our parasocial relationships? We're certainly purveyors of that with our podcast here um, and, and the shows and TV shows and movies that we're covering. But then this idea that the reality is no one's in control and we've got to be able to help ourselves. And, and I think, and there's another line, hope begins in the dark. And so the fact that Danny and GH square off, but they don't kill each other. And then this, this family, these two families find some common ground to be able to uh, support each other as opposed to turn against each other. The rest of the world is turning against itself. And at least in this place, here is a, here is a, a little glimmer of hope where these two families who, uh, you know, and Amanda says, I fucking hate people. Yeah. She's got to learn to love people in this. And uh, yeah, it's like that story of uh, how the Russian, one of the Russians that was in control of the nukes, there was a glitch in their system mm-hmm. and it looked like America had showered the world in nukes uh-huh. and he had his finger over the button uh, and he refused to shoot a nuke off at earth or not, not at earth, but at America or whatever. Right. And because of that, like his country like did not appreciate him <laughs> right. because he didn't do what, but I mean, it was his humanity. He didn't want mm-hmm. to do that to everyone. And it's sort of the same situation on a much smaller scale where Kevin Bacon did not <laughs> fill them full of holes. And right. it just shows that maybe not, we're not all bad. Right. Maybe we're not all bad, David. Where we can, we can see our ways to seeing each other's humanity. And I loved Clay's, Clay finally has a moment where he stands up for himself in some way and says, you just said, Danny, that you would, you know, do anything for your family. Here I am. Yes. Doing the, the only, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, exactly. but I'm trying to do something. So see that and, and, and appreciate that. I don't care about the money, but just get to the, the point that you can see that I'm trying to help my son. I'm coming to you as a human being. Yeah. With, you know, th- this is everything to me. This is all I have. Like, right. uh, yeah, it's very heartfelt, um, very well delivered. And Man, yeah, it, it, it is the, the hell out of that scene too. They, they did. Got so everyone involved. Good stuff. Well, I think this is a pretty good place to wrap it up. Uh, this is really fun to talk about. I hope uh, folks see this movie uh, and uh, I hope we see some more from Sam SML before too long. Yeah, I need to go back and watch some of watch some of his earlier stuff. I think I I think I owe it to him in this one because he's really like the only things I've seen out of him I've loved. So right. Might as well right. might as well bone up on the man. Definitely check out the the podcast too on the the big picture podcast uh, because they have a, Julie Roberts comes on and and they talk with her a little bit and then they talk with Sam for quite a while and he gives a lot of insights into his his process and how he uh, goes about visualizing and making things so it's it's a really great it's not just a hey we had the director on so we're going to ask him popcorn questions but it's a real examination of how um, Sam Esmail and what his creative process is and, and how he sees things and what he's trying to do with his work. So it's very cool. Oh yeah. Sounds like a must listen. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, so let's wrap it up here. Um, first, our quick notes. We are coming up on the end of the year. And for our, normally our patrons get a exclusive benefit of our second breakfast podcast. That's where John and I talk about life, the universe and everything, talk about things that we're doing in the, in the real world. We usually pick a silly movie to talk about as well. 
but we have a tradition here on the Lorehounds that we do uh, our top 10 rankings. And so John and I have put together our top 10 list for television shows from 2023. But this year we've done something new and that's we put out a community survey. So anyone who's a Patreon subscriber had the opportunity to fill out a Google form and rank your shows plus three bonus questions, which are uh, what was your sort of secret pleasure show? We don't want to call it necessarily guilty, but you know, the one that's sort of fun and and you, you can't help but uh, watch, even though you might never rank it in your best lists. Um, what was your biggest miss? You know, what is the one thing you didn't get around to watching this year? And then what are you most uh, looking forward to in the future? So a couple of our uh, users on the Discord, um, Greg Saw and Davey Mack, and a little help from Sub-Zero, they've taken all that data, they've ranked it, they've analyzed it, they actually use the Mario Kart ranking system, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense to you. I'm a gamer and I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, points based on, yeah, whatever. Anyway, they put it all through the spreadsheet. So we have a top, uh, we have a, a, of every show that was listed by everyone uh, who's in the, who's, who answered the, the survey, uh, a list of all the shows. We've been able to rank them. We've even ranked the networks. And Ooh. which shows, which networks had the most ranked shows. So that was a, a kind of fun a little piece. We're going to put that all together. We're going to send that out as a, as a blog post when John and I record our final uh, second breakfast for the year, which will have our personal top tens. We're going to be interviewing all of our co-hosts. So Brandon, we're going to interview you and do your top three. Same with Lisa and Jean and Marilyn and, and uh, Anthony. And we're going to intercut those into the podcast. So for patrons, that'll be out early, uh, probably late next week, which will be around the 22nd by the 22nd or so. And then for the general public, that should be out on the 25th as a little present to unwrap for yourself. And then we'll make all that data available as well. Uh, other things that are going on in the network, um, Properly Howard Movie Review has wrapped up their current season. They'll be back next year with some more movie reviews. But in the meantime, Steve and Anthony are uh, covering the first season of Severance. And we've set up a whole separate feed for that. So if you're into Severance and you're looking forward to season two, go check those podcasts out. They're dropping every Friday. And then as soon as we know when season two is going to come back, we'll let everyone know. And our plan is, is that Myself, John, Anthony, and Steve, the four of us are going to cover it weekly, uh, episode to episode. So that should be a lot of fun. Over on the Wool Shift Dust uh, feed with Alicia, she's going to have some more Dune coverage coming up since we've got uh, the movie coming out in March. Her and Luke are doing sort of big 360 sweeps around uh, the culture of Dune, how Dune was made, you know, the book, how the book was written, all that kind of stuff. But as well, she's been covering Beacon 23 which is a interesting Hugh Howie book or a series of short stories that MGM plus has uh, put on. It stars Lena Headey and uh, her and Luke have been doing sort of package. They're packaging up various episodes in, in chunks and uh, putting those out. And then she's got some Christmas programming too. I think she's going to be covering the wonderful life and a few other Christmas movies uh, and to put that out for some fun listener viewing. We are, also, John and Alicia did a Doctor Who. They're going to be doing a Doctor Who special, um, the Doctor Who specials. They're going to be covering that. Alicia, John, and I are going to be covering uh, season one of What If, so that we can cover season two when it comes out. But we're also going to be covering Rebel Moon. 
So we've got that. John and Marilyn have recorded an episode for Hogfather, which is a Terry Pratchett book that was turned into a TV movie. So they're going to be talking about that. So we got a whole bunch of stuff that is just going to be coming out randomly at the the latter half of uh, December. So we'll have plenty of things for your ears. And then we've got plans for 2024 as well. I believe, uh, don't hold me to it, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be covering True Detective Night Country. When it comes Hell out, yeah. that'll be our, our big show for, for the new year. There's a whole bunch of other stuff coming on. Again, if you're a patron, uh, you get access to our exclusive list of television shows uh, as they roll out through the year. I even set it up as a Gantt chart so you can see which shows overlap over the course of the year. So that's really fun. But all of that is made possible by our Patreon subscribers. You could be a subscriber as well for as little as three bucks a month or, you know, get a, there's three tiers, but if you get the lowest tier and you buy it for a year, it's like $33. Like that's like two happy meals these days, right? It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not expensive at all. And that money uh, goes to uh, all of our production costs. We also make sure that our uh, co-hosts are taken care of as well. And we have our top tier, our lore master patrons, and we always like to give them a big shout out at the end of every podcast. So Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, Doof 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwong Yu, Laura G, Dead Eye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, and last but never least, Adrian. Thank you all so very much for your continued support. It means a lot to us. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Thank you to everyone who listens to us. Brandon, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I look forward to doing some more one-shots with you in the future. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a one-shot person these days, so I'll be keeping an eye out for movies you want to see. That's perfect. I like these uh, lighter weight coverages where we can just jump in and grab something. Are you a kaiju guy? I do like the big monsters. Those okay. are fun. Well, let me know if you see uh, Godzilla minus one. I'll, uh, I'm going to try and see it. So. I'm definitely going to look around for theaters near me. I'm fairly rural, but uh, I've got a couple of uh, movie theaters nearby that I can look around for. I am, I am interested. Very cool. That thing looks awesome. wild. <laughs> it does. And it's been getting great v- reviews too. We're like really good dramatic reviews, not just- For sure. I've only heard reviews. good things. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Brandon, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to it again the next time and have a great holidays. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. I fucking hate people.